Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Rurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Debbie Emick. Debbie is a survivor of multiple chronic illnesses and autoimmune diseases that taught her the profound connection that exists between the mind and the body and how this connection affects our well-being. Through addressing and releasing repressed emotions and past trauma, she's been able to experience greater health, ease, and fulfillment. Debbie is the co-creator and blogger at GoBucketYourself.com. She's co-host of the One Life Live It podcast and the author of The Other Side of Perfect. This book is described as a brutally honest and revealing peek into the life of a woman whose multiple diagnoses and bleak prognosis would be the surprising source of her ultimate liberation. Today, I'm honored she's joined me on the Get Up Nation show to discuss her insights into total wellness and the mind-body connection. Debbie, welcome to Get Up Nation. Thank you, Ben. It's completely my pleasure. I'm excited to have this great conversation with you and grateful that you're having me. Excellent. Yeah, I'm grateful you're here too. Really, you've lived an extremely interesting life. I love the passion that you live your life with these days and the positive content that you're putting out to help people be more resilient, to find you know meaning and significance and, and liberation from challenging things that we all experience. First, before we get started, if you could share where you currently live and work. Sure. I'm on the plains of southeastern Colorado, a couple hours from the mountains in several directions. Rural farm country. We grow a lot of melons where I'm at. So, Will you share a little bit about your early life and some of the challenge that you faced? As I was growing up, I, I grew up on a farm and ranch in southeastern Colorado, really close with a lot of family there, you know, a good tight-knit family. And as as I got older, my parents sort of wanted to to leave the ranch and and explore other things and eventually kind of broke apart. And so through that breaking, I kind of severed a relationship with my dad for a while, not not by choice. And my mom sort of began these relationships with a couple of men that struggled with alcohol addiction and and brought with them the other coping mechanisms, behavior traits that came along with that. And and they became a part of my life for a while. And for a while, I, I left that situation as well. And I crashed with some friends in, the, in their basements and their parents sort of helped me out and took care of me for a while. And then as you grew, there came to be some medical challenges. Is that right? About nine years ago, I started navigating this long and winding road of being diagnosed with autoimmune diseases and learning to heal from chronic illness. So after the birth of my youngest daughter, I started experiencing a significant amount of pain that sort of interfered with doing just daily tasks and chores. 
And as anyone who might suffer from chronic illness or autoimmune disease knows, it's kind of like a, you know, a cycle. One diagnosis leads to another, leads to another, one test leads to another. And so that's kind of where I've been going for the past nine years or so, just working through that, learning ways to heal ways I can control my my environment and my and myself to ultimately, you know, find healing. Will you share a little bit about the sense of helplessness that is paired along with being diagnosed with a serious and rare disease with a poor prognosis? The effect on the mind that that has when somebody is given this diagnosis, sometimes people struggle, they have a series of symptoms and to finally be diagnosed is a relief at times. But then there's others where a diagnosis does the opposite. It doesn't give relief and and open the door to a plan of treatment necessarily. It just opens up more questions. Will you share a little bit about what you experienced when these diagnoses were given to you? You know, in the beginning, there was a lot of shock and certainly some helplessness. I think that we seek out diagnosis, diagnoses in my case, and we seek out medical expert advice to sort of legitimize what we're going through. And then obviously, hopefully we want to heal, you know, sometimes I think we just want permission to kind of slow down and stop and a diagnosis might give us that permission too. So I guess I can say what I ultimately was diagnosed with was something called mixed connective tissue disease. So for me, a combination of lupus and something called relapsing polychondritis that specifically attacks cartilage. And for me, it had attacked the cartilage in my lungs. So it caused a collapse in my trachea and bronchioles when I was exhaling. And this became this very big thing about what would happen eventually to my body and to my lungs and what kinds of medical interventions would be necessary for me to continue living. It also made me question the quality of my life, maybe in later years, and the length that my life might be. And so there certainly was a helplessness at first. Like the doctors say, this is just the way it is. They say, this is what it's going to be, what it will lead to. And then finally, with acceptance came like a realization that if I was really going to live the life I wanted to live, I needed to do it now and not someday, right? And so I think this is true for anyone. None of us have any days guaranteed. We don't know how long our life will be, but this just put it really clear and right in front of me that to get past the helplessness, I needed to use this as a way to sort of transform my life into the life I wanted it to be now because I didn't have the guarantee of later. So for me, that meant, you know, really questioning what I was doing for work and and deciding if that was necessary and and leaving. That became one of the many ways I tried to also heal my physical body by eliminating stress. And so eventually I decided, you know, to leave the the teaching job I had had for like 14 years to that point. So wow. Wow. And will you tell me a little bit about, you know, as you're navigating these different symptoms that you're having, you're trying to sort out what exactly is causing this ideally to, you know, to heal that or ideally to eradicate that from your, that cause from your body so that the symptoms go away. In our current medical system, you know, it's, it's a coding issue. It's, it's plug in a term to it and then 
the, the treatment follows according to payment and billing and all of these things. But sometimes that is not as easy. And so to, to just clearly put that label on it and then everything is, is all lined up. So there's it can be very challenging for people who don't necessarily have an illness or a diagnosis that is clearly and easily defined, and it throws a wrench into our medical system, right? And then oftentimes people are referred to three different specialists and this and that, and you go through this ringer of confusion, doubt, fear, frustration, anger. Will you talk a little bit about that experience or or ways that our medical, I guess, world, how do you see it as you navigated some of those challenges or you, and I'm sure people share their stories with you of what they've been through, you know, where do you see our medical community going and how do you see our medical community being more effective when it comes to some of these situations that aren't easy and clear? I have to say that, you know, where I was nine years ago with that and where I am now are two completely different places, but it's been a journey and lessons along the way, right? And each step was kind of another step towards my own empowerment Mm -hmm. in my own health rather than giving that away to someone with, you know, a medical degree or something. When I began, I guess for me, there were really clear markers in my blood that helped with diagnosis. Okay. But I I understand because of previous illnesses or issues, what it's like to go to a doctor and feel a certain way and be dismissed for sure. Mm -hmm. And because of other things that had happened in my life previously, I learned that I am my best advocate, right? I need to speak up for myself. And that includes with a doctor. And so the first rheumatologist I was referred to just kind of threw whatever prescriptions he could, or they typically throw at illnesses, right? And so there was a point where I was taking nine different prescription medications three times a day. And I was feeling worse than when I went to him. And so at first, you don't really question those things. It's like, oh, it'll take a while, or this is what they do, or this is the course of it. And luckily for me, I chose to find a different doctor. And I was encouraged to do so by my support system. And finding a different doctor really helped me realize, once again, this lesson of like, there are so many doctors and it's my job to make sure I find one that's a good match with me. And so if I'm going to a doctor that's not hearing me, not connecting with me, dismissing me, I'm going to go find someone else. I'm going to look until I find someone that's helpful, right? And so that was maybe step one. Step two was kind of taking back some of my power in that my doctors were saying something like, this is what you have. This is the prognosis. Eventually, this is what will happen. And at first, I was using that, like you said, to feel a bit helpless. There's nothing I can do. This is what my body does. And then I started finding ways that at least I could take back some control of my life and hopefully some control of my health. So I started working on things I had control over, Mm -hmm. diet, exercise, eliminating like toxicities on my body, in my body, what I used in my house. And then eventually a conversation with my rheumatologist led me to this conclusion that I would maybe quit my job and that elimination of stress would help as well. And so I did quit my job thinking this is like the magic bullet, right? I'm going to solve all of my medical issues with that. 
And what happened was I actually found myself at that point in like the deepest, darkest place I had, I had been in for various reasons that are obvious now, but at the time I didn't understand. And so sort of deciding I never wanted to go back to that dark place, clawing myself out of there helped me realize this connection between how you opened our conversation with my previous like repressed emotions and childhood trauma that I had never dealt with and this physical illness that was going on in my body. If I could go back nine years and put a few things in front of me at that time, like the works of Gabor Mate and When the Body Says No, Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score, things that there are really good research around, but we just don't hear about in traditional medical practices. I think I would have maybe been able to make that leap a little earlier. You never know. Like the journey went the way it went, probably on purpose. But those works and some more holistic healing, like somatic body work, really helped me make this connection. And so ultimately, there wasn't one magic bullet, right? It all works together. But the more I was able to work through these things from my past, the more the physical pain and illness left my body as well. I loved how you were saying, you know, you're talking about the choice that accompanies when we're hit with some adversity and especially adversity that isn't short-term. It's a long-term thing that you're going to be dealing with. We as people continually have a choice of what we do with that. And it can be messy. Nobody's perfect at this, but that process of, you know, all the emotions that go along with it, especially when you're in pain, you're dealing with pain, you're having emotions of confusion, you're experiencing frustration. You know, oftentimes you're just trying to get through the afternoon or that present moment just to get on to catch your breath or to experience some sort of relief. But after the dust kind of settles and we're kind of forced to face it, and we have a choice in that moment, we can shut ourselves down and just go into despair. And sometimes we do that, you know, I don't want to judge anybody for ever doing that because it's totally natural and normal as you respond to this and you, it's normal and natural to do that, but it's, it becomes a point where you kind of say, I don't, I want to be in this anymore. I can't do this. And I want to take action. You crave control. You crave a little more mm-hmm. of, well, I'm going to do something about this. What can I do? And then those things can become extremely empowering, right? I mean, you talk about this experience for you having experienced those dark places, experiencing long-term you know, pain, experiencing that. And ultimately, you talk about it becoming a liberation for you. Tell me a little bit about the choice that's involved in that for you, you know, as a daily choice, as a choice in calm moments and and choice during the storm. Will you just talk about that inner reserve of resilience that you've drawn from during this process? In the book, I talk about these couch moments, right? So like I definitely was pulled into that, like despair, sadness, depression, helplessness. And it seemed like I would find myself on the couch. One time my daughters and my husband were like playing in the in the backyard. It was sunny outside. They were having fun. And I was curled up in a ball on the couch in pain. And I'm grateful for that moment. Like that showed me I did have a choice, right? So it was like, get up off the couch and go live a life because you're still here or be the mom that your girls remember stuck on the couch while they're outside playing. Mm -hmm. So at first my choices were made out of this decision to hopefully make a better life for my own daughters Mm -hmm. out of their worthiness, out of breaking like a cycle for them. And then eventually through the, like the more 
I made those choices, the more I was able to find that worthiness within myself and make those choices from that place. So another couch moment was when I was home alone and I was deeply depressed after I quit my job, not really conscious of it at that moment. But I I had a thought, you know, where I thought it would be better if I had something that took me quickly rather than like draw it out. And yeah. and so I had this moment of just kind of wishing I I wouldn't be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And and realizing that made me realize like what that would actually do to my daughters. And I wanted to break that cycle, right? So those choices at first were out of finding a wholeness, a worthiness in them and wanting to break that cycle, wanting to be the the parent they needed to be able to do that. And eventually the the more conscious I became of my own thoughts, the stories I was telling myself, the more I was able to be aware of those things the more I was able to to change them and find like a love and a worthiness for myself and and move forward for that. Like ultimately knowing that my liberation equals the liberation of those around me, hopefully. And that meant being aware of what was going on in my mind, detaching from that and choosing a different story, choosing to say something else to myself. Wow. And- Will you share a little bit now? Let's get into your authentic purpose. And so as you develop this ability to detach, was there a mindfulness practice that you engaged in? Did you was it meditation? What was your initial experience with that detachment? And how did that lead to a connection to your authentic purpose? Okay. So yeah, at first I was definitely just working on like decreasing stress and probably doing it in a very superficial way. Right. But I I read the miracle morning and I started using the, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I started using those practices. So definitely using meditation and just a natural byproduct and, and thankfully so of meditation was a bit of awareness, a little bit at a time, right? And the more awareness seeped in and the more on the other side of that dark moment I was, the more I could see myself saying these horrible, mean things to myself. And with awareness at first just came like, you know, I would judge that. I would judge, you know, how could I be this old and not know what I what I want? How could I be this age and not know what I like? Or how could I be saying these things to myself? You know, part of my coping mechanisms through never dealing with that trauma as a child was like this perfectionism and people pleasing that I kind of surrounded myself in to keep people at arm's length because I just trusted myself and not anyone else. And so part of this awareness was like learning about that and being able to dismantle it. And so, yeah, changing those stories, first of all, and then that allowed a stillness maybe, and a bit of intuition to come in and curiosity, right? And so just empowering myself. Luckily, I had the support of my husband along with me. So I I was able to open up and share with him and he supported me. I let him know, you know, what I was working on, how I was trying to change. And so I would follow a curiosity like one step at a time 
And sometimes, most of the time that was messy, you know, like creating boundaries with people that are used to you using perfectionism and people pleasing that that's not great. Always. Some people left, some people came in, sometimes it was messy and I did it wrong. Sometimes I failed, but with each one, just building a bit of confidence in my own intuition and trusting that internal intuition to take the next step forward. And that That was really all it was about, just trying to be low pressure about it, like curiosity, take a step, just focus on one next step, not like 10 years down the road. And and with each one of those, that intuition got stronger. The confidence built a little bit more. I do believe my authentic purpose began to come out. Excellent. And will you share what that is and the joy of it? As I started healing, I started journaling. So there's a lot of evidence out there that just journaling, making a practice of it, not like a lifetime, but just journaling for a certain amount of time each day for a certain number of days is actually can be as healing as seeing a psychologist for for extended amount of time, right? So I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a medical professional or anything, but that was very accessible to me. So I started journaling. And through that journaling came this intuition that eventually developed into this book in a way that was really healing to me. And now, you know, a greater hope is that it it might be able to heal others. Some other things that have come from it just following my curiosity are, are the things that you introduced me with, right? So trying to empower others through Go Bucket Yourself, through our podcast. But yeah, ultimately, I think it's just telling my story in the hopes that, like I said before, my liberation can mean the liberation of, of others as well. That's joyful, right? I didn't answer that last part, but I mean, joy, I think I've learned just through the years that like when we search for joy externally, right? Like a house, a car, someone else's approval, ultimately seeking approval of others did not bring me joy. So I don't know that there's any arriving, like I'm still working on getting there, but I know now joy comes from this internal place, you know, that's not having to do with anything external or anyone externally. So yeah. uh, that's great. And it's like this thing, it's a frequent topic here that we bring up that our culture puts out this idea that to be successful, you know, you have, it's, it's like sheer, sa- especially for men, it's like this sheer sacrifice, like just, you have to be tough. You have to put aside your own needs and forget about anything that would keep you healthy. And you just have to somehow be so strong. I can see how, you know, perfectionism or people pleasing can also be a burden similar to that. That's too crushing to bear. I guess shedding these erroneous concepts of wholeness, or sometimes we do that. Sometimes we do these things and they protect us in a moment, or they help us survive through some challenges that it's, it's something that's useful for a time. But as we carry that weight and that baggage over time, it, it can be it can crush us. It can suffocate our life, right? And then mm-hmm. it's like that extrication of taking ourselves out of it. And oftentimes, I find it so interesting that the humility of caring for ourselves is often perceived, or we often become accused of being arrogant or something. Or people who are who like us when we're pre- people pleasing, or they like us when we're trying to fulfill some false ideal and they get used to us that way. Then they get upset when we actually go into that authentic place and be like, you know what? This is not making me well. I'm not satisfied with this. Mm-hmm. I cannot do this anymore. And I'm sorry if that upsets anyone, 
But the fact is, I can't sustain this, this limiting belief, this suffocating pressure that I'm feeling, the stress of that. Any comments on that? Yeah. You know, I learned to just trust that process of the people that stepped away. That's the way that was meant to be, right? And the people that came into my life, now I have a very supportive group of people that help me continue to grow and to be true and to be authentic. So I did learn to trust that. And it wasn't easy, obviously, letting some people go, but it was definitely necessary for my own health. The other thing is that instead of like judging ultimately this perfectionism and people-pleasing that I had sort of used as a coping mechanism, I learned to be grateful for it. So thank you for getting me this far, right? right. Uh, That brought me to a great place in life where I was empowered enough to be able to seek my own healing, but it didn't serve me anymore. So thank you. And now I had to sort of die in the book. I call it like dying to myself. I died to that part of myself. I said, goodbye. And there was a grief, you know, like, and there was regression. Like that is a way of being that I had been for so long. That's all I would say. Like I found the gratitude in what that had done for me, what that had gotten me through. And now I was ready to leave it, to let it go and move on. Nice. And isn't that amazing how when we make that internal change, we make a decision, we let a part of ourselves go, we allow the part of ourselves, a new quality to exist within us, or we, we embody it, or we make the change internally, and then it affects our exterior. Isn't it amazing mm-hmm. how that happens? It's a transformative, mm-hmm. it's extremely exciting for people who feel helpless and hopeless to hear that example, because it's real, and it's amazing when it happens. It can be painful, but it can be also be... Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of that for sure. You've written that there's no guarantee that we will have tomorrow. So we need to focus on the present moment. You know, at first glance, that's frightening for people to look at our mortality, right? But if we really take the time to accept and get to the point where we can accept this reality, then it's like a creative force is born within us, right? So we can we can exert some some level of control in a sense. We can make a decision about how we're going to live. We can you know, have some level of choosing how we are, what we align ourselves with, what action we take or don't take. And when we do it in accord and with a, in alignment to that authentic self, then it's a way of living that is extremely exciting. Will you go into that a little bit and the transition that you made from this, from being kind of confronted with our mortality and, and saying, you know, I need to make some changes and how does that play into what you're doing today? Yeah, you know, when confronted with our own mortality, there's definitely a lot of ways we can go. But eventually it led me to this idea of like, I design my life, right? I choose my life. Mm -hmm. So whether I'm choosing to go to a job every day that drains me, is burning me out, is Mm -hmm. sucking the life out of me or whatever, for lack of a better phrase right now, or whether I choose not, that is my choice. So some people feel victim of that, but just realizing that The things you do every day are your choice. And those choices add up to a whole life, right? So we may not be able to change our whole life right now, but we can focus on like the one next step that we can take to begin to build the life that we want. Mm -hmm. 
And so for me, it was deciding that we could give up my income and I could stay home. That was the first step. And with that came all this time and space to bring awareness into our daily actions and our our thought patterns and our choices and all of that, right? And we slowly began to realize that we could use some money that we were saving to invest to create some passive incomes ourselves Mm -hmm. so that my husband then was able to leave his job. And and through that, we're able to design our life. Now, I would like caution anyone. There's no, there's like this destination addiction, right? Like once I leave my job, everything will be better. And that's definitely not the case. Once you leave your job, you'll be faced with the same person that you were when you were going to your job. You'll just have more time and space to really analyze it. So there, there's a lot of good that can come from it. But again, if we're searching for some external validation or external source of joy, we're not going to find it until we work on the internal. But yeah, those were the steps to empowerment. So it was ultimately like this obstacle of my illness became the way to our our source of freedom and our sense of, you know, our own accountability for our life and our choices. So yeah, I just my hope is to empower anyone to know that, you know, if there's something in your life you feel a victim to, just bring a level of, of awareness to the choices that you're making that make you implicit to those victimhoods you're finding yourself in or whatever. Amazing. And so let's talk a little bit about your book, The Other Side of Perfect. So dealing with depression and hopelessness, you share with your readers a journey of self-discovery that led to lasting, sustainable meaning and fulfillment in your life. So this isn't a guide to, you know, get people pumped up for 15 minutes and then they go right back to their their life. This is this is a sustainable process. It's the journey. It sounds like it's coming out here on February 1, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So right. it's a lot of what we've been talking about going through learning of my illnesses and trying to become healthy. And it was like, I tried all of these superficial things, right? That first sort of added to this clothing of perfectionism and people pleasing that I had surrounded myself in all good things, but like controlling my food became like over controlling my food, over perfecting, controlling my, my fitness it was almost to like a punishing amount that I would exercise and work out until eventually I found myself at home after quitting my job, thinking that was going to solve all my problems and still in pain mm. and still not feeling well. And so the search for finding true health beyond that meant sort of going back into my past and finally dealing with these things I had never dealt with. So the book kind of takes the reader through that. And then I've I've added some journal prompts along the way to help each reader in their own individual healing, their own personal, whatever they're healing from. And then that turned into a companion journal that can go along along with it when you buy the book as well. So Nice. Will you share a little bit about the mind-body connection? Will you go into what you've learned? Give people sure. just a little taste of that so that they can get the full meal in your book, but a little taste of it here so that they can whet their appetite. As I was searching for healing, you know, I was adding in some supplements and that kind of thing. I went to a chiropractor searching for a probiotic. Like, that's going to be the thing that finally heals me. And she saw through this like facade and she did some somatic work and some healing on me that sort of brought that past into the present. And 
I went out like searching for skeptics, right? I told my husband like, oh, she wants to do this. She and a friend like, oh, can you believe she wants to do this? And they were both like, well, you've tried everything else. You might as well give it a shot. And so the more I worked with her on a sort of just letting those things of the past come up, she did some energy work, the more I could feel the physical pain leaving my body. And so that was kind of enough for me. But since then, I, I've I've found a lot of medical research, like for people who are pragmatic and looking for that kind of validation. There's so much research out there that shows this connection between our mental, emotional health and our physical health, right? So it does certain things to our nervous system when we're in fight or flight mode often. Even if it's just like we live a really busy life and we push from one thing to the other, the long-term effects of those chemical and hormonal processes that go on affect our heart, affect our lungs. And so that was the first step to realizing that mind-body connection. And then that's just been like reaffirmed since that happened over and over. I have a cardiologist now because of another diagnosis. And he actually wrote uh, prescriptions the first time I went to him. And this is in the book as well. His prescriptions were diet. So he he recommends the vegan diet and then exercise. And then he recommended mental, emotional health. And he looked me in the eye and he said, I don't just mean like yoga or meditation. He said, get your rug, pick up the rug and sweep everything out from under the rug. And then the last thing he recommended was connection. So those are some things I go into in the book that have a lot of research. That's why he recommended them that also have a dramatic effect on our physical health. And it just took that little sort of mystical, magical moment with a chiropractor for me to realize the two were linked. Amazing. Tell us about your podcast. Where can people listen? Yeah. So it's called One Life Live It. You can find it anywhere you find your podcast, or you can go to gobucketyourself.com. You can find our episodes there. That's also where you can find a link to get the book in the digital journal. If you go to gobucketyourself.com forward slash books, you can find it there. All right. Before we get in the final portion of the show, for people who are listening to this, who may be dealing with some diagnoses that are difficult ones to swallow are you know, things that are extremely troubling to someone and they're grappling and going through the emotional trouble of, of just not finding that wholeness, that peace, that fulfillment, and they're looking for it outside of themselves and they're having these symptoms. Any words of advice, guidance, or encouragement? Sure. I think I heard a really good recommendation from a cardiologist recently that said, the best thing you can do for your health is go on a long walk with a trusted friend and talk about something that's bothering you. So maybe step one there that adds the connection, getting your heart rate up and also working on releasing some stuff. The other tip I would say is like, first step is awareness, right? Just become aware of the thought patterns, the stories you're telling yourself, what you're reliving from the past or worried about about the future. Just become aware from the, of those and then do what you can to, to release attachment to them. So like I... I sometimes have to tell myself, I am not my pain. I am not my past. I am not my diagnosis. I am not my body. I am not my house. I am not my car. I'm not my, whatever it is, release your attachment to those things. And you can slowly begin to, to work on telling better stories, writing the stories you want for yourself in your life. 
Amazing. Amazing. All right. I always end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me? Oh, I'll try. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Who are you thankful for today? I am thankful for my husband who supports me, who's grown along with me instead of us growing apart, for sure. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? Mm. Well, at this very moment, I'm thankful for this warm room that I'm sitting in, that I'm I'm comfortable in. And also what I touched on before, the growth that's come along with me, the people that have come into my life because of that growth, the opportunities that have come, the sense of like a release of a burden because I've, I've lived out, as you called it, my true authentic purpose rather than hiding. How do you fuel the fire within you? Oh, I do have a practice that helps me stay just in my best place, hopefully. So I get plenty of rest. I meditate, I journal, I get exercise as much as I can. I fuel my body with things that make me feel good food-wise. And if I if I do those things, generally, I also fuel my life so I can live from a place that helps me create and keep moving forward. And what is one thing that adversity taught you to value? Hmm. I think adversity taught me to value my own personal power, how much choice I had in creating my own health and my own life, designing it the way that I wanted to. What are you doing today? You may have never thought you could. Ah, just sitting here talking with you, sharing this story that I had held so tightly, unknowingly inside for so long and just letting it out and letting it go and letting it heal and move forward in the, in the way that it could. Yeah, all of this. And then what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? Tomorrow, I'm going to get right back up and do it all again. So record a podcast for our own podcast. Talk to some other amazing people that are making podcasts of their own. Continue sharing the book and just putting it out there into the world. And yeah, it's a pretty different place than I ever thought I would be, but it feels pretty good to be here. Great. And again, remind us, where can people learn more about you and your amazing work? Sure. So go bucketyourself.com forward slash books if you want to get the book or anything at gobucketyourself.com. If you have more questions, you want to reach out, you can send me a message on Instagram at imperfectprogress.me. So that's I am perfect progress. Yeah. Hit me up. I'm here for you. Any questions or you just want to say hi, I'd love to hear from you. Excellent, Deb. Thank you so much for joining me on the Get Up Nation show, for sharing your journey of resilience and helping us all to get up when life knocks us down.